His glory is like the firstling of his bullock, and his horns are like the horns of unicorns. With them he shall push the people together to the ends of the earth, and they are the tens of thousands of Ephraim, and they are the thousands of Manasseh. Deuteronomy 33, 17. Greetings all you lovely folks out there in the hinterlands. As always, it's your boys Rock and Max, and we're going to be your guides as we travel the mystic woodland paths in search of all things supernatural here at Nightmares and Daydreams, y'all. Welcome, humans and other people. Rock, this is going to be a fun one, methinks. We're adding a little daydream to the nightmares today, gang. Yeah, yeah. But before we delve into the lore, we'd like to remind you guys and gals out there in the hinterlands to continue to like, subscribe, review, follow, all that. And to continue, please granting us the boon of the sacred five-star review on whatever podcatcher you listen to us on. Please do, gang. It helps our little pod get out there. It helps oh so much. Like I say, if it wasn't so gosh darn important, we wouldn't ask every dang episode. So... Thanks in advance, everybody. You know we appreciate it. And now, let us head to the Forest Primeval. So, as y'all know, by now, for sure y'all know. Hopefully. Rock and I are going to discuss and debate all things paranormal, legendary. At least most things. And monstrous. And monstrous. Yeah. And of course, fun. Don't forget fun. Fun. Fun is important. As our wise and charismatic audience surely knows, but... (laughs) Flattery will get you everywhere. Do you want to know what's not funny, Maxie? Unicorns are fun, right? Like, 100% fun. Oh, 100% fun. I like that. Max is mixing in a classic 90s album from Matthew Sweet with unicorns being 100% fun. Good job. (laughs) You like that, huh? I worked at a record store in our misspent youth in the glorious 90s. So yeah, Max, I like that. In fact, I don't think there's a downside to unicorns, unless you happen to be an evil person that gets gored by their magical horn, maybe? Record this date and time, lovely listeners. There's nothing not fun about today's topic. Put a timestamp on it. It's a definite first, so Max, if something is not fun, then I'm assuming that it means it's extra fun, or I'm I'm just confused right now, right? Yeah, I don't don't really understand. (laughs) Something along those lines. Hey, either way, we're going to have some fun, y'all. Yep. And speaking of unicorns, today is the Boston Marathon Rock. Thousands of the best amateur road racers in the world are lining up in Hopkinton today to run back to Boston. Well, that's awesome. And you're not running. Why is that? I'm too lazy. Good job. Not this year, but more importantly to our podcast... The symbol of the 126-year-old race is none other than... Let me guess. The unicorn. Got it in one. Boom. Okay. How about a story, Rock? You know that's what we're here for. In his youth, King Arthur once went sailing alone in search of adventure. He was overtaken by a storm that blew him far off course, and he ended up stranded on a lonely shore with this ship stuck fast on a sandbank.
Gazing along the rugged coast, the only sign of habitation was a single square red tower at the edge of a forest, so Arthur made his way there to seek help. It was a strange tower with no doors or windows. At first, there was no reply to his calls. Then a man's head appeared over the battlements. What do you want? He called down gruffly. Arthur explained that he needed help to free his ship from the sands. The stranger seemed to soften a bit. That's a reasonable enough request, he replied. But nothing can be done till my son returns from hunting. If you're prepared to wait, we'll help set you on your way. Since he had little choice and was by now curious about the stranger in the tower anyway, Arthur settled down to wait. In due course, he asked the man how he came to be living in such a remote place. Sir, came the reply from the battlements, you cannot tell this from where you are, but I am a dwarf, and long ago I was in the service of the king of Northumbria. As you must know, a dwarf's life is a precarious one. And when things go wrong, we are more likely than others to catch the blame. So it happened with me, and my lord had me banished and set ashore with my wife in this desolate place. She, poor lady, died almost immediately in childbirth. After I had buried her, I wrapped the babe in her cloak and went looking for somewhere to shelter for the night from the elements and the wild beasts, for it was winter and I feared for the child's life. In the forest not far from here, I found a large hollow tree filled with dead leaves. Just right for a cradle, I thought, seeing how nothing better was to be had. But as I began to plump the leaves up into a pillow, I heard a rustling and found a nest of fawns. They had been so well covered that I didn't see them until they moved. Each fawn had a tiny horn in the middle of its brow. Well, I was so taken aback that for a while I did not know what to do. Then suddenly their mother returned. She was a great white beast, as large as any mare and with a sharp horn like a lance on her brow. She had a spark in her eyes that told me she thought I had been about to steal or harm her children. I panicked and ran and was just about to congratulate myself on my escape when I realized that I had lost my own son. Then I heard his cry from far and away and knew I must have left him by the hollow tree. In fear and trembling, I crept back and my heart almost stopped when the babe suddenly went quiet. I loved the child dearly already, both for his own sake and because he was all I had to remind me of my dear wife. As I crept nearer, I found the unicorn lying in the hollow of the tree with her fawns nursing at her breast and my own babe there among them, beating as mightily as if he were their brother. That night, I hid nearby, almost freezing to death, unable to decide what to do. It was plain that the unicorn could feed the babe better than I, but how could I abandon him to the care of a wild beast? In the morning, the unicorn left to feed and I took my son and washed him and wrapped him in swaddling as best I could. I meant to return him to the nest, but before I was done, the mother returned. This time, though, she greeted me in the sweetest and gentlest way. There was no spark of anger in her blue eyes, and when she lay down with her fawns, she motioned with her head for me to return the child to her. From that day until he was weaned, the unicorn remained my son's wet nurse.
I built a hut near the hollow tree and we lived together as a family, no evil creature daring to threaten us. Such was the virtue of the unicorn's milk that my son grew into a giant, soon able to uproot trees with his bare hands. In time, he built this tower for me, so I would be safe when he was off hunting or at play. And the unicorn is still my son's constant companion, although her other children have long gone off into the world. As the dwarf concluded his tale, the ground began to tremble. Here comes my boy now, said the dwarf. Arthur, who had not known how much of the tale to believe, was mightily impressed to see a true giant come striding out of the forest with a dead bear slung lightly over one shoulder and a mighty club over the other. Beside him came, trotting daintily, a milky white unicorn. The mystery of the tower's lack of doors and windows was explained when the giant lifted Arthur up to the battlements. There he joined the dwarf for a feast, whilst the giant remained outside, his head almost on a level with theirs. The following day, he and the unicorn helped drag Arthur's boat off the sands, and he set sail again. Nice. I love King Arthur stories. I didn't know he met a unicorn, though. Yeah, I think this was before, you know, he and Lady Guinevere got together. Why you say that? Well, you know, plain right, he was obviously a virgin. Ah, yes. So, according to medieval legend, people, as many of you probably already know, mm -hmm. unicorns could only be caught or ensnared by someone entirely pure. A.K.A. a virgin. Therefore, King Arthur must have been a virgin, unschooled in the mystic arts of the bedchamber. <laughs> the mystic arts. <laughs> I guess it was in the early days of his adventures. Had to be. But you know where the idea of unicorns and virgins comes from, Rot? Not offhand, my man, but since this is your episode, I figure you do. So, up until and even through the Middle Ages, unicorns, wild unicorns, were commonly described as ferocious and untamable. For example, it's said to be an opponent of the elephant, which it would spear in the abdomen with its horn. It is also quick, even impossible to catch. But then the unicorn becomes docile, however, in the hands of a virgin, symbolic of the mother of Christ, the Virgin Mary. Ah, oh, makes sense. In many bestiary representations, a virgin is used to lure the unicorn. She heads to the forest until the unicorn sees her and jumps into her lap. Now, some representations of this moment involve the unicorn sucking on the virgin's breast until it falls asleep. And then during its slumber, the unicorn is caught by hunters. Okay, so I think I've seen like tapestries of this. So do the hunters kill the unicorn? Honestly, many medieval illustrations and manuscripts depict or describe hunters slaying unicorns for their horns, yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Humans got to ruin everything. Show is sad. Yep. They're like the goblins in Legend, Tom Cruise's best role, I might add. Yeah, you're spot on there, Max. He's good in that. Also, Ridley Scott's best movie. <laughs> yup. Oh, I don't know if it's the best, but it's up there. Cruise plays Jack of the Green, a young feral boy. Uh, I think he's more fae than feral, right? And he does have sweet goldfish scale armor. Tough to be. I don't know that he was fae, like... In origin, Rock, hmm. I think he was just maybe raised by them. 
Okay, well, maybe you're right. Maybe he was swapped for a changing baby. Yeah, probably. We all know the Fade need that young human blood to keep him going. That sounds reasonable. So, Princess Lily, played by Mia Sarah, of Ferris Bueller fame, yep. lures the unicorn because she wants to touch it, and that gives the goblins the opportunity to attack. Not good. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we won't spoil the rest of it for you late-coming viewers, but bad stuff happens. It's typical Tom Cruise action. You know, Max, did you know Tom Cruise was not the only famous actor considered for that role? Oh, yeah? Who else? Johnny Depp, for one. Jack Sparrow, his own self? Mm-hmm. I don't see it. Well, fortunately for us, the producers didn't either. And also, get this, Jim Carrey. Okay, now you're just messing with me. Fire Marshal <laughs> Bill was not considered for Jack. He was, man. It's in the Hollywood history books. Good Lord. I think you mean to say good neighbors. <laughs> good neighbors, indeed. Check it. Is it time for another story? Absolutely. Is it a French story or something? Nah. Sometimes the spirit just takes me. Read on, mon ami. There are in India oxen with solid hooves and a single horn, and a wild beast called the axis which has a skin like that of a fawn, but with numerous spots on it, and whiter. This animal is looked upon as sacred to Bacchus. Your sand Indians hunt down a kind of ape, which has a body which is white all over, as well as a very fierce animal called the Monoceros, which has the head of the stag, the feet of an elephant, the tail of a boar, while the rest of the body is like that of a horse. It makes a deep lowing noise and a single black horn, which projects from the middle of its forehead two cubits in length. This animal, it is said, cannot be taken alive. Natural History by Pliny the Elder, first century AD. You heard it here, people. Roman historians declare the unicorn a fact. Based on hearsay evidence, though, from the Indians. Mm, why are you calling my boy Pliny a liar, Max? I mean, I'm not. <clears throat> not in the least. But in the next paragraph, you know, he talked about the catablepus and the basilisk, both of which are also very, very real. <laughs> they have to be real, Max. Both the catablepus and the basilisk are in the D&D Monster Manual doesn't get any truthier than that. You ain't lying. And the Swiss and Italians, our Patreon patrons, will remember. Also have a legend of the Tatsa worm, which the Italians called the Basilisco. So there you go. Ah, true. Too true. Fair enough. But that's a podcast for another day. You know, actually, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Speaking of real-world evidence, though, let's talk about some animals, both living and extinct, that... Let's do it. ...have been conflated with the unicorn. All right, I'm... Assuming you mean the rhinoceros, right? Exactly. For one, many people claim that the great one-horned rhinoceros of India is the origin of the unicorn myth. Well, that does fit with the origin location of the Pliny story. Sound like a rhino to me. 
True, but, I mean, does the description fit? All right, let's start. Head of a stag. I mean, not really, but maybe. Kind of a stretch, though. Just a fat, ugly stag. All right, body like that of a horse. I mean, much bigger, but yeah, I could buy that. Feet of an elephant. Definitely. Yep. Tail of a boar. If I'm being honest, that's pretty good. Right? But that doesn't mean that's where the real unicorn myths come from, or at least the only origin. No, you know, it seems like the Middle Eastern unicorns, like we hear about in the Bible, were more stag or goat-like. Yeah. Well, honestly, when I think of a unicorn, I think of like a powerful, regal, horse-like creature with a flowing mane and a single horn growing from the center of its head. You know, just this majestic beast holding virgin paladins as they kill evil, you know? That's just me, though. Yeah. I, I hear you. I mean, following the rhino-like description of the unicorn, though, there's a prehistoric animal that people point to as well. Like, I mean, maybe people saw the fossils or something. Hmm. What's that? Well, it's called the elasmotherium. Good word. It was a giant beast, sometimes called the Siberian unicorn, mm. although I think it had a little bit wider spread than just Siberia, like down into China and stuff. But it's kind of like a big furry rhino, but like twice as big. Twice as big as a rhino. Yikes. That's huge. Yeah, I guess they died out between like 25 and 40,000 years ago, depending on the dating that you follow. But, you know, people could still have kind of remembered seeing them and told stories about them, you know, like for sure. scary stories around the fire. Yeah. Totally happened. For sure. All right, man. So let's get back to real animals, gang. All right, Max, have you heard of the dreaded duocorn? The duocorn? No. Yeah. Not that I recall. <laughs> oh, me thinks you have. Uh, nope. The dreaded duocorn, Max, a.k.a. the majestic cow. Aye, aye, aye. Tread not easily on the pastures on which they lay the easily missed cow pies. <laughs> cow pies. You're ridiculous, <laughs> man, duocorn. I mean, that's pretty good, actually. Dude, my folks had land back in the day, South Texas, and we had cattle grazing. And our dogs used to go mess with the cows, like get them all riled up. <laughs> but only until the donkeys that we had with the cows got involved in the mix. The dogs didn't want anything to do with the donkeys. Why do you guys have donkeys with the cows? Just because? No, man, because, dude, donkeys are mean, Max. And they ain't afraid of any coyotes or what have you. They will kick, stomp, and bite the living hell out of you if you ain't careful. That includes coyotes. So they're like watch donkeys? They Pretty protect much. the cows? Mm-hmm. I think you're lying, Rock. <laughs> Scout's honor, dude, I promise. Them donkeys got a vicious streak a mile wide. It's the truth. All right, back to Unicorns Gang. Although, <laughs> I do want a donkey. I wonder if Margo would play with a donkey. Mm. Margo's my dog, folks. So I think the donkey would kick the <laughs> out of Margo. <laughs> oh, no. No. They would be sweet together. I don't know, man. Like little unicorns. Well, maybe you should get Margo a donkey playmate and see how that goes, Maxie. Let us know how it goes. Yeah, I, I, can, I can put a, I can glue a horn onto its forehead. Exactly. Donkey corn. That doesn't, sound, <laughs> that doesn't sound good either. All right, man, let's get back on track. So we talked about the movie Legend, which involved a unicorn. But now I want to get into a childhood classic that my wife absolutely loves. The Last Unicorn. Everybody loves that movie. A true classic. Mm-hmm. Dude, isn't it? All us 80s and 90s kids loved us some Rankin-Bass productions back in the day. Am I right? Yep. For years, their animated versions of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings was all we had. Mm-hmm. Love it. And 
to the pure of heart, there's still only one Hobbit movie ever made, <laughs> the Rankin-Bass one. <laughs> I can agree with that, man. Like, I can get behind that 100%. And not to mention all the stop-motion holiday shows from back in the day, gang. Yeah. Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July or Santa Claus Coming to Town. All those stop-motion ones. I have them all on DVD. Baby New Year. Mm-hmm. Big Year, Baby New Year. So, Rankin and Bass were awesome. And just FYI, they also did Thundercats. Oh, man. Why can't someone make an actual Thundercats live action movie? They've already done Transformers and G.I. Joe, right? Could be very cool. Gang, there was an after school block of cartoons back in the 80s that consisted of Thundercats, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Robotech. Dude, that was awesome. That's a good lineup right there. So we've already had a horrible G.I. Joe and Transformers movie. Now we need an excellent Thundercats and Robotech movie. That would rule. Get on it, Michael Bay. I'm just playing. They're probably, work- they're probably working on DuckTales instead. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Tailspin. Gummy bears. <laughs> Could be Dude, I cool. love that cartoon. <laughs> Gummy bears drinking that, drinking that purple drink, bouncing up all through the forks. Man, they were just you know, They were on something. They were high on life, everybody. Don't judge them bears, okay? <laughs> All right. So that would be very cool. I, I think agree. we both agree. But mm-hmm. we've steered away from unicorns a little too far. As we do. So let's get back to it. All right. So the last unicorn gang, Peter S. Beagle, we salute you, sir. It's so great. Dude. All right. Everybody. So the premise is this. A unicorn hears from a butterfly because they're big gossips, apparently. Yeah. And the force that she is the last unicorn, the last of her kind. And so then she decides to go out and see if this is true, and she leaves her beloved forest, and all sorts of adventurous hijinks ensues. Nice review. No spoilers, I don't think. Yeah, well, technically it wasn't a review, Maxie, but you know what? Do you know what the best thing about that movie is? The red duocorn? I mean, the red bull? <laughs> the red bull. That giant beast that herds all the unicorns? The red bull. I wonder if that's where Red Bull got their like name from. They're like, oh, this evil giant red bull. Anyways... Neither here nor there. No, dude, it was Mama Fortuna's Midnight Carnival. Word. That was the scariest part, dude. So creepy and so well done. The harpy that was in that caravan was extra wicked. Dude, no joke. I'll say carnivals like that always make me think of something that's wicked this way comes also. And then also the HBO uh, two-season thing, Carnival. Mm. Oh, yeah, that was a great show. Dude, that was really creepy. Like, literally my wife gets so scared of that. (laughs) Like it has yeah. such a good intro, the music, and it it's all the like the tarot cards and everything. Oh man! But anyways, going back to the last unicorn, yeah, dude, uh, the harpy that they did, the animation was so good. It was done so well, man. Uh, the harpy was immortal, and Mama Fortuna kept her in the show for to be like legit, like she had a legit magical menagerie, and the harpy's name was Seleno, whom Aeneas ran into at Strophides. She gave him the heads up in regards to his future journeys, prophecies, and such. Hmm. That's a pod for another day, Maxie, Mr. Classical Studies. That movie is so amazing. It really is. Check it out if you guys haven't. It's so good. Agreed, man. And, you know, some parts might be a bit too scary for some of the younger viewers, but Max and I grew up in the 80s, y'all. Yep. Had no parental guidance. <laughs> Saw The Exorcist when we were like nine. It's you know? true, true. <laughs> uh, you know, and Rock still ain't right because of that, but, you know... The show is sad, and that could be a pod for another day. The true story behind The Exorcist? Dude, I keep saying we need to do an exorcism, demon possession. 
pod. Let us know if y'all want to hear about that. But yeah, really disturbing. Yeah, everybody else that you notice, I said could, <laughs> but probably not. Hashtag hell nah. I ain't touching I'm getting that. Getting a lot of pushback from Rock. He's like, uh, no, that's ain't too scary. touching that. <laughs> he thinks y'all can't handle it. Yeah, literally. I don't know, though. Could be cool, Rock. So was that. You ain't scared, are you? Yes. And now it's time for another story, gang. You scared, Rock? Oh, hush your sassy mouth. Is the unicorn fabulous? To this question, we may reply, in the words of a writer of 1633, concerning the unicorn, different opinions prevail among authors. Some doubt, others deny, and a third class affirms its existence. The question has lasted 2,000 years and is every now and then kept alive by fresh evidences. Catasius, a credulous Greek physician who appeared to have resided at the court of Persia in the time of the young Cyrus, about 400 years before the birth of Christ, describes the wild asses of India as equal to the horse in size and even larger with white bodies, red heads, bluish eyes, and a horn on the forehead a cubit in length, the part from the forehead entirely white, the middle black, and the extremity red and pointed. Drinking vessels were made of it, and those who used them were subject neither to convulsions, epilepsy, nor poison, provided that before taking the poison or after, they drank from these cups water, wine, or any other liquor. Catasius describes these animals as very swift and very strong. Naturally, they were not ferocious, but when they found themselves and their young surrounded by horsemen, they did not abandon their offspring, but defended themselves by striking with their horns, kicking and biting, and so slew many men and horses. This animal was also shot with arrows and brought down with darts, for it was impossible to take it alive. Its flesh was too bitter for food, but it was hunted for its horn and ankle bone, which Catasius declares he saw. Aristotle describes the Indian ass with a single horn. Herodotus mentions asses having horns, and Strabo refers to unicorn horses with the heads of deer. Opian notices the Aeonian bulls with undivided hoofs and a single median horn between their temples. Pliny notices it as a very ferocious beast, similar in its body to a horse with the head of a deer, the feet of an elephant, the tail of a boar, a deep bellowing voice, and a single black horn standing out in the middle of its forehead. He adds that it cannot be taken alive, and some such excuses may have been necessary in those days for not producing the living animal upon the area of the amphitheater. Major Salter is stated to have obtained information of the existence of an animal in Tibet closely resembling the unicorn of the ancients, which revived the belief of naturalists by adducing testimonies from oriental writings. Upon this statement, M. Klaproth remarks that previous to Major Salter's reports, the Catholic missionaries who returned to Europe from China by way of Tibet and Nepal in the 17th century mentioned that the unicorn was found in that part of the great desert which bounds China to the west, where they crossed the Great Wall that Captain Turner, when traveling in Tibet, was informed by the Raja Bhutan that he had one of these animals alive, and that Bell, in his travels to Peking, 
describes a unicorn which was found on the southern front of Siberia. He adds, The great Tibetan-Mongol dictionary mentions the unicorn, and the geographical dictionary of Tibet and Central Asia, printed at Peking, where it describes a district in the province of Kham in Tibet named Seraziang, explains this name by the rivers of unicorns, because, adds the author, many of these animals are found there. From the Eccentricities of Animal Creation by John Timms. Now that just goes to show, again, how long the unicorn, or its legend, has been around. Literally thousands of years. Agreed, man. And while that's a bit of a dry read, and it does go on and on, but like you said, the legend of the unicorn has been around forever. And you know, Max, I think the bottom line is that people, you know, people out there in the hinterlands let us know. I just feel like people want to believe in it, you know? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's a symbol of purity, royalty, bravery. Mm Mm-hmm. Like in the lore of the lion and the unicorn battle for supremacy of the forest, so goes the old rhyme. The lion and the unicorn were fighting for the crown. The lion beat the unicorn all around the town. Hmm. I'm pretty sure Shakespeare wrote that one, baby. That's a good rhyme. (laughs) He didn't write that one, but he wrote this. For he loves to hear that unicorns may be betrayed with trees and bears with glasses, elephants with holes. Lions with toils and men with flatterers. Old Bill could write himself a verse. Or is that a sonnet, Maxie? I just want to see the bears being betrayed by glasses. Exactly. Do they Are bears nearsighted or something? Like, what's going on? <laughs> exactly. Maybe it's drinking glasses. Who knows? <laughs> okay, last one. This is from Spencer's Fairy Queen. Like as a lion whose imperial power a proud rebellious unicorn defies... To void the rash assault and wrathful stour of his fierce foe, him a tree applies. And when him rousing in full course he spies, he slips aside. The wiles that furious beast his precious home, sought of his enemies, strikes in the stock, nay thence can be released, but to the mighty victor yields a bounteous feast. The lion and the unicorn have been doing battle for quite some time, and the unicorn figures prominently in Scottish heraldry as the unicorn is known as the enemy of the lion, which English royals had adopted as their own symbol. I mean, we've all seen Braveheart, right? Yep, true enough. You cannot take my freedom. Mm-hmm. Great movie. Party people, with that last bit of myth, we are done. Thanks for hanging out with Max and I. It's much appreciated. True enough. And please follow us on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. And don't forget to continue to share our pod, gang. And if you want more nightmares and daydreams, head on over to Patreon. Bonus content always awaits. And as always, we want your stories, gang. Shoot us an email with your true tales. Do it for Maxie, gang. He really wants your true tales. Yeah, please do. I love your stories. You're such a good boy. Don't forget, our bard... The great Teresa Joy is responsible for all the music and production of our pod. Mm-hmm. Find and follow the bard herself at Viabright and go check out her own website at TeresaJoyMusic.com. And finally, gang, head on over to our own damn website at NightmaresPodcast.net to holler at your boys. 
As Maxie always says, we'd love to hear from y'all. Oh, right. We can't forget to let our listeners know about the historic episode number 100. We're going into triple digits, y'all. Coming up. Yep. Yes, sir. Guys and gals, episode 100 is going to be our longest one to date, and it's going to be a blast. Can't wait. What's well, literally like in a week? Oh, yeah. So. I, don't, I don't have to wait, but I still can't wait. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thanks for hanging out with us. Be good to each other and sweet dreams. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.